1: Hello, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comet. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing. For many years, broadcaster Wendy Mesley was a fixture on the televisions of Canadian households, bringing families the news as a host of popular shows Undercurrents, Marketplace, and The National, all on the CBC, where she worked for 38 years until her departure from that network last year. A remarkable career during a time that saw incredible changes in the media landscape. Now, Wendy Mesley is the host with Maureen Holloway of a new show, the podcast Women of Ill Repute, which is described as being about people who don't give a damn about the old rules. Wendy joins us today to talk about her career, her new show, the state of media today in Canada, including the future of the CBC, and so much more. Wendy Mesley, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, you're very, very welcome. Lovely to be here, Anthony. How are you?
1: I I am doing well, and how are you?
0: Good. I'm so happy to hear you mention Undercurrents because that was my favorite show. I, I love doing that show. I, I had been a political reporter forever, and I thought that there weren't really people who were investigating media or marketing or advertising or all of that stuff, and I thought, woohoo! Uh, and, of course, I soon learned why no other network was doing that was because I was attacking my colleagues and attacking advertisers and so <laughs> on. <laughs> so on, but uh, but it was great while it lasted. And uh, CBC, God bless them for that. They uh, they let me do that show. So thank you for mentioning that. That was my favorite.
1: And you know it's funny because I, I guess sometimes the the things that people consider their own career highlights, you know, people they've interviewed or places they've gone to, are not necessarily what the public would think. Like you say, oh, this with the prime minister or having. Well, no, it was actually this or that. Uh, what sort of what sort of anecdotes or interviews? do you chalk as your favorites that perhaps we we wouldn't first think of?
0: You know what? I think that's everybody's or so many people's first uh, question and definitely a favorite question. And I'm terrible. I used to think it was a guy thing, but I don't think it is. I think it's just <laughs> a... <laughs> I think it's just a person, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's certain interviews that I remember. Like I remember asking Jean Chrétien why his, uh, his face was half frozen that nobody, everybody talked about, but nobody ever asked him. And he gave me an honest answer. Like I remember he said, yeah, I had this disease when I was a kid. And now, you know, I talked to this other ear and I hear better through that and, and, and on we go. So I thought that was, uh, like, I remember weird little moments as opposed to, like, I always wanted to interview Dolly Parton. Um, and I, I, at one point at CBC, they said, who of all the people in the world, were doing something to fill time in the summer, uh, when no one's, uh, spending any money. Um, but who of all the people in the world would you like to interview? And I said, Dolly Parton, this is like 10 years ago. And, uh, sh- she wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. And then finally said, I won't come up and do it, or I won't meet you and do it, but you can come to, what's it called? Uh, Dollywood. Dollywood. Yeah. And it was when I had booked to to go away on holidays and I couldn't go and it was awful. So that was my big, my big chance. So yeah, I guess I probably would have remembered every word of that interview, but it never happened.
1: She does strike me as a, a genuinely just decent human being, Dolly Parton.
0: I know. Yeah. And she's such, you know, I mean, the the fake boobs and all, which, uh, you know, (laughs) as as women were uh, uh, 50 years ago raised to think, you know, anything you do to enhance your, you should never do any of that. But she did it. She was open about it. Her music is great. She can write a song in five minutes. And she's, uh, she's just such an inspiration. I'm not a big music person, uh, which Maureen Holloway, my uh, uh, co-host on the new podcast that we're doing, points out to me all the time that I am really a mutant when it comes to uh, pop culture. But to me, Dolly is such a, such a great character. She's just, she's, she's used, she's, she's brilliant and she's a brilliant business person and she's used her life to make life better for other people. So kind of a cool person.
1: You know, Wendy, asking how are you doing now? I'm sure there's a lot of people who, who approach you and probably ask you that question just because they're so <laughs> used to you being in the background of their lives with the television on seeing you every day they haven't seen you for for well over a year and they're probably coming up to you on the streets and saying how you doing wendy
0: well it's weird like people uh most of the people who come up to me are over 40 because it seems that uh mainstream media now is uh only watched by people over 40 or maybe even Mm -hmm. older um so yeah no i'm doing fine i it was uh it was a heartbreaking thing that i went through at uh at cbc um I, i mean i can talk about that i can I wouldn't mind actually telling you what happened because for a year I didn't, uh, didn't stand up for myself and didn't say anything and sort of hope that things would get better. And, uh, and I think I was used by CBC to, uh, basically say, uh, we have a racism problem and it's her. So let's all hate her. Um, so yeah, basically what happened was I was on a phone call, uh, preparing a show, uh, Uh, George Floyd had been murdered by the cops Uh, a week earlier. We were doing something on uh, racism in Canadian media. And we had uh, three black people who were going to come on to the journalists who were going to come on and talk about what it was like in journalism. And anyway, so we were, I was talking with other producers on the phone because it was COVID time, the beginning of COVID time. And, um, anyway, I was outraged that this woman who was going to be on our panel, this journalist had said that she was called that all the time. And anyway, I was outraged by this and uh, kept going on. She was called the N-word all the time. She was called the N-word all, she Hmm. said, she was called this all the time. So I wanted that to be part of our panel discussion. And, um, I... I think I used the n-word in the first reference and then I used the the whole word and cuz I got caught up in the moment and I shouldn't have used it and I realized immediately that I'd hurt people and I apologized uh for using the word cuz I should have known better um but it turned into like the next year I was basically portrayed by my employer of almost 40 years as uh as being a racist and they never stood up for me and uh, uh, so I, And I never fought for myself. So I, I think I, it, it kind of broke my heart, actually. It uh, was extremely, extremely difficult. So that took a year to resolve that. And during that, I got sick and my mom died and a whole bunch of other shitty stuff happened. Um, and then finally, we parted ways, shall we say. And um, And now I'm doing this podcast. So I'm sort of a broadcaster, but I'm more of a podcaster. Not making any money, but... <laughs> If if you want to sign up, uh, please do we're looking for sponsors we're looking for like big bags of money to fall from the sky so I'm, I'm fine now but it was uh, it was a rather rough thing to go through when you look back on that period and you kind of say, you know, I didn't say it on the air, I, I apologize because I had hurt people and should have known better. And I deserved to be punished, but I didn't deserve the punishment that I got, which was basically losing all credibility and my reputation and my job and my show and everything else at CBC. So,
1: Wow. And, yeah. and, and losing your mother as well. I'm sorry to hear about that very difficult year.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny. I wrote, I think you want to ask me about the piece that I wrote for the Globe uh, more than a year ago, but I wrote another piece uh, that got published on Mother's Day, so recently, Um, And it was about uh, my mother as being the original woman of ill repute, (laughs) because she basically raised me. She left my dad, who I revealed in that piece was gay. Um, Back in those days, it was illegal to be gay. Um, He was going to go through psychotherapy or whatever and see a psychiatrist and learn how not to be gay as if that's a thing um anyway so obviously their marriage did not work out but somehow I happened and uh so I I wrote about how she basically went on and and formed a life for herself and for me after leaving him and how um she was the original woman of ill repute and that you know she wasn't it took her seven years to get uh custody of me and to get a divorce and by the time uh, she could date, she was in her 30s. And in those days, uh, if you weren't married by 30, you're a spinster. Um, so anyway, she never remarried. And she raised me to, to fight for myself and to think a little bit differently than a lot of uh, women were raised to think in those days. And um, yeah, so I, I uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult losing her, but she had dementia. So she was sort of slipping away gradually. It was uh, not, not a shock um
1: when she died there's so much to unpack about what you discussed there (laughs) about your departure from CBC one thing I found interesting you mentioned and a year later so there was the incident the meeting um which you promptly apologized for realized you you'd misspoken and then a year later you feel like you're sort of the fall guy the fall gal for this racism at the CBC issue how is that something that took it I, it didn't take sorry, a year.
0: I, I yeah, no, I felt that pretty immediately when it turned into uh, like two or three days in when I realized that it was going to be an HR uh, and a union thing, and that right. they were going to basically allow everybody who wanted to portray me as a racist uh, to portray me as a ra- that like I was mad from uh, uh, or I was upset, mad at myself, but also mad at CBC. Uh, very early on but when you work for CBC you can either um, and something happens you can either go with the process and try and figure it out and hope that that you know after 40 years and and it had its own its own problems with systemic racism of which it was accused publicly at the CRTC and other places by CBC employees um, you would hope that I had hoped that things could be worked out and that I could actually return. And it took, it took a year, but you can't fight. You can't say anything. You can't fight for yourself. You can't say anything publicly. So it took a year for me to say, okay, this is not going to work. We, neither of us sees the future here. Um, so I'm going to leave. So it took a year for me to say I'm going to leave and to have the freedom to be able to say, I think the treatment of me was inappropriate, and uh, I'm uh, I'm a free person, and uh, I didn't agree to a gag order for whatever money might have been involved, and uh, I'm free, obviously, or I wouldn't be speaking to you. Um, uh, that took a year. It didn't take me a year to figure out that uh, CBC and I uh, were not in good terms.
1: So basically, you were being spoken about by people for a whole year, and, and I guess, perhaps misrepresented or smeared or called names for about a year on social media or the rumor mill in the industry. And you're someone who's used to, to telling stories, telling people's stories for, for many years. And you couldn't tell your own story at that point while other people were, were speaking about you and speaking for you.
0: Well, I mean, this is a much broader discussion. I don't want to talk about smears or whatever, but um, sure. uh, it is, it is a broader discussion of what's happening in social media is that, you know, like my, so many normal people, people like everyday people who are not in the media uh they had no idea what happened because they're they're not on on twitter or insta or other places that i was being denounced or even watching the national which sort of denounced me on air a few times um yeah um but i think that it's generally what's happening in media is that people just read what their friends believe and uh and we're basically being taught to hate each other. But during that whole period, yeah, I mean, people were saying all kinds of ridiculous things about me. That, and 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 even other journalists believed that I had actually called somebody the N word. Like I would never, I never have my long life. I have never called anybody that. And I, I thought I had a reputation for fighting for underdogs and uh, for not being someone that would ever call somebody uh, uh, a name. Um, I used the word uh, and I thought I was being supportive and outraged that somebody had actually been called that word but, uh, but I shouldn't have used it and I apologized and I think yeah so I kept quiet for a year thinking that CBC and I would would work things out, but uh, but we didn't. So it took me a year to write.
1: And it's crazy to think that there's stories about your departure, but all the facts aren't filled in, or there's a segment about you on The National, and again, the facts aren't filled in. So people are left going, well, what did she do?
0: Yeah, well, somebody said to me, a friend of mine said, well, because you didn't speak out, because you didn't fight for yourself, uh, people think that uh, the absolute worst must have happened, that it must have been way worse than what actually happened. Um, and it's true. I mean, I think that is my biggest regret: is that I, my mom taught me to to fight for myself, um, and I didn't. I didn't. I didn't fight for myself. But if I if I had, I would have had to have left the CBC, grieved. The, the, the uh, punishment that was given me, I would have had to have uh, sued them. And I just that was I don't or, you know, I could have gone the other way and attacked the people who didn't know what had happened and who had made all kinds of assumptions and were using me to fight a cause. Um, and were making assumptions about me based on stuff that they didn't know. But I didn't want to attack them either. I didn't really want to attack either the place I had worked for 40 years or for the people who were fighting for issues that actually mattered a lot to me. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I felt like the best thing I can do is uh, try and, and work this out. And then I realized that was not going to happen.
1: It, it seems definitely very bureaucratic, antiseptic, ungenerous to not discuss the nuances of your situation um, that appear, it seems that that's what happened in the HR scenario there where I know there's debates over uh, is it acceptable to say this word as an example of a word one shouldn't say. You know, people talk about different nuances. Well, it's said in lyrics to songs all the time kind of thing. You're just using it as an example yeah. of a word you disapprove of and so forth. And it's like, To your point, this word was not said in hostility, you weren't aiming it towards anyone, you were speaking about it disapprovingly, and and you've acknowledged um, you feel you shouldn't have said it, you've apologized for it, and yet you still need to lose everything. It's kind of like, uh, where was the nuance in all of that?
0: Yeah, well, I, I... I don't think that there's any excuse for, for saying the word, and I should have known better. Sure. And that's why I apologize. And I, and I think that people do need to be careful when they're hurting other people. You know, like my, I, uh, I take particular offense to what's called the C word, which everybody knows, uh, as right. well as they know the N word. Um, I would take particular offense to that. And my husband, you know, he's uh, Irish. And thinks that that's that's a word that you call everybody that you uh, think is being a dick in a certain moment. Um, And he doesn't see it as offensive. So everybody sees things in different ways and they can express themselves in different ways. I should have known better. I never mean, like, if I mean to hurt somebody, like when I was at Marketplace and chasing crooked contractors, I meant to hurt them. (laughs) But But I did not mean to hurt anybody by using that word. And I should have known better. And I think, but I do think that context matters. There's a big difference between uh, fighting against somebody being called that and saying the word and calling somebody that, which I would never have done in a million years.
1: All right. And I guess I just mean that there was no sense of that nuance in public discussion or reporting of you, or, or perhaps in the HR process, it seemed to just be, okay, Wendy has to lose everything now.
0: I, yeah, I don't want to speak for them. I can speak what? for myself, but yeah, and I think I've explained sort right, of where, where I've come from.
1: When you talk about the punishment you received, what what was that punishment? Uh,
0: well, there are some points that um, in my uh, there are some points that I'm not sure that I can speak about, but uh, it it was probably the largest punishment uh, given out uh, to anyone who was not fired. Uh, and then I ended up losing my job and my show and whatever. Anyway, they they uh, the, the, the punishment uh, at CBC can be um, uh, not being paid for a period of time. So I was not paid for a period of time. And I had to go to sensitivity training. Um, and my show was taken away from me. And I was ultimately offered another job, which was to go back and basically, you know, do a job that I did when I was 20 years old, which is, you know, read somebody else's copy.
1: I want to get your thoughts on a story up at cbc.ca right now. Prominent Radio Canada personalities urge broadcaster to fight CRTC N-word decision. Basically, there were a few occasions, a number of occasions where uh, French-Canadian employees of of Radio Canada, part of CBC, uh, had used the N-word, I guess, in a similar way that, that, that you had in terms of not using it, uh, rudely to a person, but just as an example word, uh, they said this on the air. I know we established, you said it in a meeting and there was a complaint filed against them and they're saying they want CBC to fight for them. These broadcasters and, and a lot of, uh, prominent French broadcasters are standing up and saying, yes, you must fight for us, uh, to not receive great punishments for this. I know they often do things differently in Quebec in a number of ways than we do here in English Canada. What do you make of this story?
0: Um, I don't want to make a pronouncement about what Radio Canada or CBC should do, uh, but I have two comments. One is that uh, nearly all of the people who are saying how dare the CRTC get involved in this uh, free speech uh, debate and tell Radio Canada what to say. um, All of those people are 50 and older and there's a lot of people and white um, maybe not all of them, but I but pretty much so. And I happen to know a lot of people under 50 and a few people under 50 who are not white who work at Roger Canada and are not supportive and think that that nuance does matter and there was no nuance um, expressed in that show, acknowledging that <clears throat> saying the word um, could have, Um, harmful or hurtful effects on people. So there's that. And I would also like to point out that uh, there was a complaint uh, made uh, at CBC during this whole N-word thing at CBC as opposed to Roger Canada back in the day when I said the word on the telephone uh, to staff members, um, not accusing anyone of being that, but being upset that somebody was called that. Uh, So the ombudsman at CBC looked into it and wrote a report and nobody noticed that because there was a lot of blah blah blah, as there always is in ombudspeople's <laughs> reports wherever wherever the institution is. Um, but they also said that uh, that the CBC broke its own ethical guidelines for mm. uh, uh, how they how they covered what happened to me. So uh, yeah, there there is there is a difference. CBC decided to make an example out of me, even though if you look at all the Senior management, or if you look at all the things that were said about uh, CBC at the time and its own problems with uh, with racism, um, there they decided to uh, um, you know take advantage of of, uh, of my using the word and, and my celebrity, I guess, Canadian style <laughs> celebrity for whatever it's worth. Um, and uh, there was a very different approach at uh, at Radio Canada.
1: We'll be back with more full comment in just a moment. Wendy, you mentioned CBC's problems with racism. CBC is a large organization, many employees. Are the problems that CBC has faced uh, particularly greater than at other institutions? What, what is unique or specific to CBC's challenges as opposed to the challenges that, that other organizations might face with racism?
0: It is a, um, excuse me, it is a a unique situation um, because I I don't think that the issue of diversity or bigotry or racism or whatever is any different or any worse. Uh, It might actually be better at CBC than a lot of places, but the the difference is that, um, well, I guess there's two differences. Um, The main difference is that because it's, crown corporation and because it's subsidized by taxpayers it has a responsibility to uh when it does something bad to take responsibility and try and make that better and to be accountable for that where as if you're in uh private media you can make different decisions that don't have anything to do with uh, that have to do with your own morality as opposed to how others may may see you. So there's that difference. And there is also a very strong union at CBC, which means that all the old people like me uh, had jobs that were protected forever. And you would have had to have basically murdered your boss on video, which existed in those days, <laughs> um, uh, for you not to be supported. So and meanwhile, the, the, the government grants and the and the audience were declining. And so people, all of the old white people were supported, and all of the, the young people who wanted to have jobs, including people who were of color or some kind of diversity, uh, were were trying to get in. And all there there just weren't a lot of positions in a, in a shrinking mainstream media world. And so like everybody, everybody is struggling, and CBC tried extra hard, but they did, they had racism problems. And part of what happened to me was there was a uh, diversity inclusion um, group that had been made all kinds of promises about how there was going to be changes in terms of there would not just be old white people in terms of uh, uh, senior management, and that there would be different rules in terms of what was considered a, a bias or a whole bunch of promises made. And this group didn't feel like they were being delivered upon, especially after changes in management. And um, uh, so when I happened, when the thing with me happened, it was just like enough already. And George Floyd and COVID and everything else, enough already, enough, enough, enough. Right. And so um, it, became, it became very much an issue. And there'd been a change in management and, uh, and, and a big focus on, on, on trying to change things quickly. And I got swept up in all of that.
1: Speaking about C B C being a crown corporation, people having views about it, people have opinions and, and passions about CBC that they just don't have about the other major networks. I guess the other networks they either they either watch or they don't, and and, and that's that. CBC, there's friends of CBC, an organization. There are people who put uh, little signs on their yard saying, I'm a CBC supporter. On the other side, there are people who just love to criticize CBC and you, you can win an entire conservative leadership race just promising to trim the budget or even shut down the whole operation. So strong are the passions felt on both sides. Do you think that's that's fair? And how, how do journalists in CBC respond to that atmosphere?
0: Well, I think that uh, a lot of people have wanted to work for CBC uh, because it has been such, especially as, as, as journalists. um, And there is this, I mean, it, it used to be that, uh, Uh, There would be, I'm exaggerating, but there would be like three crews showing up for uh, CTV's one crew and people would go, this is ridiculous. Um, Those were the good old days. Those those days haven't existed for a long time. Uh, So now CBC, while uh, struggling like everybody else and while supported by the government, unlike everybody else, it's still struggling and its audience is shrinking and the dollars are shrinking, the demands, the... The uh, the uh, demands to be uh, in time zones across the country in different languages and all of that it's uh, it, it's really difficult. Like I I'm I'm doing a podcast now because I, I think that the mainstream media. Uh, world is shrinking and changing and some of that is natural and some of that is good, but some of it is also because people, it used to be, you know, like when I was a kid where there would be like three TV stations to watch. That was great. It used to be in Quebec, there'd be three TV stations to watch and everybody watched the same thing. And, and the culture was so cohesive. And now you've got YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and everything else, TikTok um, and, and culture is is changing. And I think CBC feels very much that it's changing and that it needs to get ad revenue. And that's creating problems with journalists who are saying, why are you selling our journalism as uh, as uh, disguised as advertising, even if it's not that clear. But it's it's a changing world and everybody is struggling.
1: Right. There's a new announcement that there will be a streaming service that is ad-supported uh, out of CBC. And I know management feels passionate about this as an opportunity for new revenues, but there are a lot of criticisms and concerns about whether a public broadcaster should be doing this. And and I guess questions about should CBC be like BBC in the UK, this large empire, or should it be sort of constrained more to be like an NPR-type operation? Where, where do you see the future of CBC?
0: That's not for me to say, especially now. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I I am very grateful for the opportunities that CBC gave me. My first job actually was with CTV, um, but at CBC I was able to do I was able to do shows that uh, basically spoke for the underdog, and I was able to do I was able to uh, have support in time to like when I first like I was the first woman to cover a prime minister for the CBC bureau uh, on Parliament Hill. Um, that is an opportunity that I am eternally grateful for um, so you know while things didn't end well for me and I'm mad at CBC for the certain ways that they handled me in the end I, I still think it's I still think it's necessary and while there's so much positive stuff happening with social media and all of the other uh, changes that we've seen in the last 10 20 years um I, I I think there's a lot of good and bad in both mainstream media and in and in social media, and this is the world that we live in.
1: <laughs> I love the title of the new podcast, "Women of Ill Repute." So <laughs> far, your guests have been Mary Walsh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, Jan Arden, your co-host Maureen Holloway. Are are you all women of ill repute?
0: Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons I've always seen myself as a woman of ill repute, which is meant to be a uh, compliment, by the way. <laughs> it has it has nothing to do with uh, my having uh, said the N-word and I thought defense of, of Black people and then realizing that I stupidly realizing that I had, you know, hurt people and done the opposite. Um, but yeah, women of ill repute, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, with fighting for things that you believe in. And not uh, following perhaps the the you know the roles or the rules that that were set out for you. so yeah, I mean, um, Maureen, what are
1: those rules? Well, what were the rules that you were supposed to follow? Well that you don't I'm, want to anymore.
0: I'm, I'm old now, so I'm hoping that the rules are changing but I I, I have a, a, a daughter who's in her 20s and I have a lot of female friends who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s and there are a lot of things that don't change and and for Maureen, like she, she's a comedian. she did a, a, a morning show she was on Q107 and on CHFI in Toronto big big uh, morning shows in Toronto but before that she was a comedian and like she was told yeah well you're really funny and everything but you know people don't really want to see funny women they want to see funny men um i was raised by a woman who you know did not tell me to wear clean underwear and uh keep my bangs out of my face and uh and smile and and just be nice to everybody i wasn't i wasn't my mother didn't teach me that and she taught me different things. Uh, she taught me how to fight for myself. She taught me how to believe in things. She taught me to tell the truth, which uh, I think there's a limit to. Like she actually told somebody that they'd married a dork. I don't I don't think I don't think that's necessary. So she probably went too far. But it's, uh, yeah, the old rules about how women can't be funny, women can't be ambitious, women, um, they have to be married, they can't get divorced, they, all of those things. Um, they should always be smiling. Um, I think those things are getting better for uh, for women and, and for people in general. I think people just need to... Um, I think people need to fight for things that they believe in, even if it, they're not the standard rules. And that's, you know, obviously what's happening in the States is different than what's happening in Canada. But, uh, but that's what I, I don't, I don't reject all rules. I think some rules are, are important and the rules are always changing. And I believe in challenging the status quo. And I think I've done that in my career and I believe in, I believe in change. Like when I was a kid, you know, people used to do jokes about, gay people um don't do that anymore I used to do jokes about uh black people don't do that in toronto anymore it would bother me when i moved to quebec that people were still telling jokes about black people i just i i think i've i've fought against that all my life so when i talk about uh rules those those are the rules that i mean but i i believe in you know trying to be kind and trying to be good and trying to listen to each other and and i i've I've always tried to do that, but I'm human and I've made mistakes like everybody else.
1: Who are some other voices we're going to hear from on this show? Because I I already see in in the guests you've had so far that uh, one gets a sense of the, well, yeah, that that these are people who don't give a damn about the old rules. Uh,
0: Yeah, well, the next person up, she's coming out on uh, Tuesday. So it's funny because we... I guess women of ill repute, it's meant, to be, it's meant to be a compliment, but it's also like we're not going to uh, interview women who have not challenged the status quo in some way. Um, but we're also interviewing women who we find to be admirable in some way. So uh, I'm not going to give you the whole list of, of people, but we're, we're talking to uh, Marie Hennen, the lawyer. So she's, uh, she defended uh, Jean Gomeshi. And uh, he used to work at CBC, of course, and uh, she defended him and he was found to be not guilty. Uh, and a lot of people say that the way that she fought for him uh, did a disservice to victims of sexual assault. So there, there's, but also like murderers deserve to, to have a good defense that doesn't make their lawyer a, a murderer. Um, so we talked to her about um about well, well
1: you've teed me up some I, I can't now ask you brought gomeshi up i didn't bring him up now i have to ask you yeah what did you think about the jean gomeshi <laughs> thing being a, a at least a broader colleague of yeah
0: his? i never really knew him so uh i had heard stories but i never knew anything to be real so uh yeah i'm hardly hardly an expert on on that situation so sorry
1: well, and what did you think of that that discussion? And I know you're just getting into this before I interrupted you. That Marie Heinen, like, like would it would have been different if a male lawyer had said, "Well, I'm defending him because everybody deserves a defense, so I'm going to defend him." But Marie Heinen, as as a woman, somehow that wasn't acceptable.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I found it very interesting that that she was able. Uh, she acknowledges in the interview, and I, 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 Maureen is going to kill me for giving too much away here, but in the interview, she basically acknowledges that, that the system doesn't always work for sexual assault victims. Um, and we know that most, not all women tell the truth, but that the women who have actually been sexually assaulted, which often means rape, even though that is not the word in law anymore, um that they uh do not get a fair trial or they do not get a they do not get justice in the in the system that very rarely uh do they come forward and if they do i mean i know lots of lawyers and judges who have said you know if my daughter was ever raped i would not go through the process with her because she won't win she'll just be destroyed so we we talk about that um and and how uh, it was it was different for her as, as a female lawyer who sees herself as a as a feminist, even though she doesn't use that word. Um, to defend uh, somebody like Gian Gomeshi so um, yeah she was attacked as a woman and also she was attacked as a woman for doing uh, sexy photos of her of her stuff like really like it's just I don't know lawyers are are supposed to all wear button-down suits I don't think so so yeah we talk about that sort of thing.
1: When you've referenced social media a few times here. And, and I do want to talk to you about just the nuts and bolts of news gathering, reporting, how journalism has changed. Because increasingly I find, well, this has been going on for maybe 10 years now, so many news stories now are just, what's trending on social media? Who said this on social media? Pretend everything, pretend life is 140 characters long. You talked about the, the sort of viciousness that I guess we can sometimes be exposed to on there. How has social media changed the general news media landscape and, and where is it headed?
0: Well, I remember back on my show, Undercurrents, which was like at least 20 years ago, um, boy, 20 odd years ago. And we did stories on the sort of the birth of of social media and people's fixations with celebrities. And uh, I didn't realize that it would only explode from, from then. We sort of thought that, it, oh, wow, look at this. Like everybody is, is obsessed now with what celebrities are saying. Um, and now, you know, it's, it's the Kim Kardashian's is the way too obvious example, but it, it does seem that uh, we're now being driven into these silos of which we've all heard about the, you um, uh, where we all hate each other um, as uh, Roxanne Gay who made a career for herself on social media uh, wrote a book recently saying you know it's it's like everybody is a hammer in search of a nail and that's that's how it feels like I I know that uh, people don't believe in objectivity anymore but I still argue for that because I tried to be objective and people would think that I and I, obviously I do have personal opinions about things but I always tried to be fair to present two sides of an argument so that people could make make up their own decision about things. Um, and to me, that was being objective. And people would say, oh, no, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Just let everyone know what you think. And then they can uh, figure out whether they want to believe you or they want to believe somebody else. But that just basically drives us into this polarized world that we're living in right now, where nobody even tries to tell you Uh, what's actually happening. Instead, you just, you know, you read all your pals on whatever social media post you're on, or you read your, your favorite newspaper that supports what you want to believe in. And, uh, and very few people make an effort to tell both sides of a story anymore. And uh, anyway, so it ends up that instead of talking to each other and trying to understand each other and trying to learn from each other, uh, that we all hate each other, that we all say I'm right, and you're wrong, which is not very helpful, and has led to the world that we 're living in right now. on the other hand, you know, I remember being twelve years old and being so bored and If I had a question, I had to go to the library or look up on microfiche <laughs> so you know it, it's way better that now I have an answer to uh Martha Mitchell. I remember her. I just watched this series on Gaslit on t v and Martha John Mitchell and the whole Watergate thing because i 'm a Watergate kid it was happening when I was like twelve. Uh, and go back and, and read about that. It's all on Google. I can watch stuff on YouTube. I can, If I'm on holidays, the first place I'll go is Twitter because everything is there and I can put in a keyword and I can find stuff. But I'm only being sent stuff that the algorithm says that I want to hear from. So uh, I try and keep my mind open and read people of all you know, different opinions who I respect in different ways. Uh, to keep my brain full. Uh, so it's kind of wonderful. It's like, like I remember when video games came along, that was going to kill it. You know, everybody was going to be a serial killer because they were watching a video game. Or if you're old enough, you remember the debates about how TV was going to ruin everyone's life and we we're all going to become worse people. And, and maybe we are, but TV, video games, and now social media for the last 20 years, um, they're kind of here to stay. So I think we just have to... Uh, try and find a way of still talking to each other and not just talking to people that we agree with.
1: Yeah. The whole, we're all hating each other thing. I get the sense that traditional media is, is probably amplifying it or worsening it rather than healing that.
0: I don't know. Does traditional media even, does anyone even read that anymore? (laughs)
1: Or listen I, to I, that I, anymore? I, I have to say yes in hopes that people are still <laughs> buying the newspaper. So.
0: Well, I don't have to say anything because I have a podcast, womenofillrepute.com. Go and sign up. I don't have to say anything that I don't want to say anymore, which is quite liberating because at, you know, at, at CBC and certainly as a political reporter, you weren't supposed to have uh, a sense of humor or any political opinions about anything, whereas now you're. it seems uh even at cbc or you know we there are people who like tweet stuff about going to uh following drag queens well if i'd done that one and not that that was my thing but if that had been my thing and i tweeted that it would have created a huge sensation which i think and i think it's good like why shouldn't you be able to tweet whatever the whatever the heck you want
1: there you go tweeting whatever the heck we want and i <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of where where we found ourselves at, because that's the the state of social media. Maybe the state. Yeah, but we of still need to talk media. to each
0: other and listen to each other and learn from each other and try and understand each other and maybe even forgive each other instead of just saying, "Oh, somebody said they said this, so they're a bad person, and now I hate them." I I don't think that's very helpful. Have you been either. forgiven? Uh, I think a lot of people who actually are familiar with my career and know that I devoted much of it to fighting corruption, uh, fighting for the little guy, Um, maybe not doing as well, obviously not doing as much as I should have in terms of like, I remember, uh, I think I just left the hill and Phil Fontaine started talking about residential schools and I didn't, you know, stop and pay attention like I should have paid attention to that mm-hmm. I, I, I said the n word without realizing uh, that in any context, it could hurt people and that did I really want to do that. Um, so, um, so yeah, I think we're, we're all in a, in a, in a different spot now.
1: Wendy Mesley, it's been a great conversation. I admire your career. I admire your honesty. Thank you very much. For, well, thank
0: for... you. Thank you, Anthony. That's a, yeah, so Women of Ill Repute, me and uh, Maureen, she's a comedian. I'm a journalist, but we're both trying to be honest, and uh, that's, that's, that's the difference. So it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much.
1: Likewise. All the best, Wendy. Thank
0: yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Bye.
1: Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Prue with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review, and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.